from St. Mark's Gospel, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Happy Palm Sunday. I'm hesitant um, to even preach a sermon, to be perfectly honest with you, because to read the passion narrative of our Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, what do you say? What do you say? You know, it's all there, and I'm going to give you a couple of things this morning, but I want to just say this thing. I do this. I preach a sermon on this day, on Palm Sunday, with humility, and I don't say that lightly. If you know me, I don't say really anything. Well, I just say some things lightly, but not that. <laughs> but I've been, something which has been bouncing around in my mind all week, and I'm going to show some things to you today about this. It's a very simple idea that I've never actually preached on before, and frankly, never really thought about a whole lot. But it's this, that everybody loves a hero. And football players, rock stars, rap. People even rap anymore? I don't even know. But everybody loves a hero. Everybody loves a hero. Everybody wants a hero. Friends, everybody needs a hero. And of course, a hero is somebody who wins, somebody who is successful, somebody who, against overwhelming odds, confronts struggle and challenges, often at immense personal, well, always at immense personal cost, and yet they are victorious. They emerge as an example. They emerge as an encouragement. They emerge as somebody we can look to and want to be like. There's a, a guy you may know about. His name is Carl Jung. He's a 19th century, uh, sorry, 20th century psychologist and philosopher. Uh, not quite as weird as Sigmund Freud, but almost. <laughs> and uh, Carl Jung, though, one of the things that he really, he, it's his whole shtick, is this idea of archetypes. And an archetype is an idea that he, Jung would say, exists in all human cultures and all people, right? The hero, the villain, the scoundrel, the, you know, all these different things. I I'm not a Jungian. Uh, Jordan Peterson, who I am a fanboy of, is a Jungian if you're curious, but all that's to say, I think we can all agree on one thing, whether you believe in Gustav or Carl Jung or not, and it's this, that everybody wants a hero. Well, today is the story of Palm Sunday, which quite honestly is, I mean, if you don't know what's going on, if this is your first time at Palm Sunday, man, it's a whirlwind of a feast day, and it actually encompasses a whole week of events because we talk today, we come in this morning singing all glory, laud, and honor, as Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem to take the throne of the monarchy to become the king. And then Father Gruder just read a moment ago him dying on the cross. So here he is being hailed as a king and then in the very next breath being nailed to a cross for the very same charge. So I want to talk about this today, a couple of different things. This idea that Jesus, who arrives as a hero and is crucified as a political insurrectionist. I'll get to that in a minute. But here's the question I want to give to you today, because everybody you know, if they're not a Christian, thinks this. Is he a colossal failure or the consummate hero? We're going to look at two things today, two points which I've never even thought about until this past week. I've been thinking about and praying about this. Two things which prove the point. We're going to look at this curtain in the temple that's ripped in half. And secondly, I want to spend some time looking at this centurion at the foot of the cross. So is Jesus a hero or a failure? Two things. The, the curtain is ripped in half, 
and the centurion at the foot of the cross. So if you're wondering why I picked those two things, that's a good question. I've never preached on this before, and there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on in here in the story today. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. If you don't know the backstory here, it's Passover, right? Passover is a, a feast of the Jews, and all, of it, all the Jews from all around have come to Jerusalem to be there to, separ- to, to, um, to celebrate the feast of the Passover, which is kind of like Independence Day right? The Passover is when the Egyptians were freed from Egypt, from the Egyptians. So think about it like this. Here you are, Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilatus is his name in Latin. He's there. There's all these Jews for the feast of the Passover. It's all sort of rife with politics and tension and desires for liberation. It's the Passover, man. So everybody's just jazzed about this idea of freedom and, a, and in comes this Messiah riding on a donkey, this Jesus guy who calls himself the King of the Jews. Now you're Pilate, and you see this going on. Pilate was, uh, the Romans were good at two things, right? Building stuff and killing people. <laughs> they were. And they, they were actually a pretty tolerant group, as long as you did not try to dis- disturb the Pax Romana. And so this man, this conquering king, comes riding on a donkey, which if you don't know, is a symbol from the Old Testament that the king of the Jews would arrive at Jerusalem on a donkey, and they throw their, their, their clothing on the road for this animal to pass through, like a royal carpet, actually. And they wave palm branches like you were doing, and they shout something really important, which maybe you don't know. They shout this new king who arrives on the, on the scene, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means... Save us! Save us! Get the idea, right? It's pretty tense. And the reason that they want Jesus, the reason that the people of Jerusalem, all of these Jews, are gathered together saying, Save us, because they think that Jesus is their new king, their new hero, who will overthrow the Romans in, in rebellion and set everything to rights. Did you ever notice something here? Why is Barabbas in jail? Why are there two men on the cross? There may have been more, but we know of at least two that were nailed to Jesus' right and his left. You know, Barabbas is a, is a revolutionary. He's a, he's a political agitator. It says so. And those two thieves, they're not, you know, stealing penny candy from 7-Eleven. These thieves that are crucified with Jesus are also rebellious insurrectionists. My point is, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of stew and they see this Jesus who is, who is promised, promised to be the king of the Jews, the son of David. And now he is hoisted upon a cross and his, his coup comes to a screeching halt. Here we are again, they say to themselves, another failed hero. And that would be true, except for two things today. The curtain and the soldier. Mark tells us in verse 37 that Jesus is on the cross. He is there for three hours hanging on the cross, which if you don't know is an excruciatingly painful way to die. It's cruel. It's humiliating. It's meant to be. And if you don't know this, over the the cross, Pontius Pilate puts the charge, right? When you were crucified, whatever you were being crucified for, you would put the, the, uh, the crime over the person's head. So people knew what was going on. It says, the king of the Jews. So here Pilate says, yeah, there's your king. There he is, your failed hero. 
And so this goes on for three hours. They, everybody reviles him. They nail him to the cross. They put thorns on his head. It's just, it's disastrous. But then something really interesting happens. I want to show you this in verse 37. It says that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. I mean, imagine this. I'm at that moment when Jesus hangs on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? What's going on here? Well, Scripture tells us that at that moment, Jesus is taking the weight of all human sin onto his being, onto his very shoulders. I mean, imagine, think about it like this. How many of you, imagine the, imagine the weight of your own sin, right? When you do something which you just can't even believe you did. Ever happened to you? Yes. The time you said something to your wife out of anger that you later regretted and she cried in front of you and you thought, my God, what's the matter with me? The time that you, get, you were yelling at your children and said something you shouldn't have said. The time you treated somebody like trash that you were at the store because you were frustrated. The taxes you cheated upon. All that stuff, right? You look back on it and you go, what kind of an animal am I for this? How could I possibly have done that? I mean, people say sticks and stones may break my bones and names will never hurt me. Man, that's a lie. And you know it. Words matter. Imagine those sins that you carry of your own, your own sins that you bear, the words you wish you could take back, the things you'd said you wish you hadn't done, the things that had been done to you. Now multiply that times the number of human beings who have ever or will ever live. The guilt, the shame, the distance from God, the sin. Jesus bears that on his shoulders. And he cries out, how could he not? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? As he stands before the gates of hell, bearing your sins and mine, he breathes out his last word. Mark says this is an interesting word in Greek, ekpaneo. And it doesn't just mean, glad that's over. It's a, in, the, in the first century in Greek sort of worldview, this idea was that when you breathe out, maybe you've been with somebody who's died, you've seen this actually, when a person actually breathes their last, last breath. The idea in the first century, and it's actually kind of true, is that your, 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 your spirit in some sense of the word is kind of breathed out. That's the word here, but it's a little stronger. This Greek word, ekpaneo, means like a grunt. It means like a yell. It means the, the shout of, the, of a man who is dying and stricken by the sins of the world. And then suddenly Jesus, after this ekpaneo, this, he is now dead failed hero, except for two things, the curtain and the centurion. <laughs> Look at it again. It's a, it happens, Mark, you know, Mark's gospel is written in very, very fast tempo. Bup, 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 bup. There's not a lot of theological commentary in there, but if you notice again, so he breathes his last, and if you look at it, Mark immediately flashes to the temple. So here you are, Jesus dies on the cross, and he breathes his last, and then he says, and the, the, curtain of, the curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. Friends, that is huge. Because this curtain is not a curtain hanging on some woman's windowsill in Iowa. right? It's not a decoration. My, my grandmother, I was thinking about this, my grandmother, uh, when I was a kid in Pensacola, when I used to go visit her, she had these curtains They were like, I mean, they were so heavy, you could, you could probably should have stopped, could have stopped a nine millimeter with one of those things. I mean, it was just like, you know, big thick curtain. That's not what's going on here. This curtain that's ripped from top to bottom is a curtain 
in the temple. And the curtain in that temple is not decoration. It's not like that, right? That curtain in the temple is not decoration. Listen, listen, listen. But a protection. We might not know is that in the temple, behind that curtain sits a very important thing, and it's called the Ark of the Covenant. It's where the Ten Commandments are located. And what separated the temple had se- several rooms in it, and in the most, the, the most sacred building of the place, it's called the Holy of Holies. That's how you do an emphatic in Hebrew. You repeat it. So the Holy of Holies is where the, the Ark of the Covenant is kept. And man, you can't even look at that thing. You can't even touch that thing. It's dangerous. Once a year on the Feast of the Atonement, the priest in the temple would go in to burn incense behind the curtain. And when they went in there, they would tie a rope to him and bells on his vestments. Why? Because if you hear a, if the bells stop ringing and you hear a Time to pull that priest out. Time to call a new priest. My point is, friends, <laughs> that thing, that ark, is where the God's presence dwelt. And that curtain was there, not to protect the ark from the people, but to protect the people from the ark. You know, I've ever seen, um, I just watched a little bit of this yesterday, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You seen that? That came out 40 years ago this year. I was 12 and that movie. It's insane. I can't believe it. 40 years ago. But anyway, in the, you, know the, you know the movie in the closing scene, which, I mean, it looks kind of ridiculous now. The special effects are not exactly up to par. But the idea is they, they, they have this Ark of the Covenant and they open it up, right? And they're like, well, this is a big old, you know, nothing burger. And then, then the presence of God comes out of it. And every single one of those Nazis standing around is, a, is you know, a One of them explodes. I just watched this yesterday. One of them explodes. One of them is melted. But every single one of them, the Spirit of God just comes through, angels circling through it, and everybody is wiped out. Indiana Jones says to his his, uh, cohort there, his sidekick, close your eyes, Miriam. Don't look at it. You can't even look at this thing. It'll kill you because God's presence is so powerful. God's holiness so strong, and we are sinners. But listen, here's the key. This is why Jesus is a hero, one of the reasons. Because when he dies on that cross, friends, that, kit, that curtain that protects us from the presence of God is ripped in half. You know why? You know why? Because Jesus pays for our sins. And the protection of that curtain is no longer needed. Let me throw this at you and I'm going to move on here. Jesus, friends, stands in our place. He dies in our place that we might be justified, made right before him. Not because we're good, but because he is. But because Jesus Christ, who is the sinless son of God, takes our sins and our brokenness upon himself and pays for them on the cross in our place. You know, many of you, maybe even some of you, suffer from guilt and shame. Maybe some of you don't come to church because they don't feel worthy. Guess what? They're not, and neither are you. That's not the point. We are only made worthy because Jesus has died for us in our place. That's what makes us able to stand before him. So the friends, the curtain ripping in half is hugely profound because what it shows is that now, God, we can stand before. It's not God that's changed. It's that Jesus has now made us able to stand before him and live. And then, so Mark goes from the cross to the temple, and then the ver- it's only one verse, the, the r- cur- curtain was ripped in half, and then we flip back to the centurion. 
Back to the foot of the cross. So it's like a, it's a flash forward, back, side, side and back. Mark whisks us back to the foot of the cross and tells us something that I, I have never thought about before, and I've been thinking about it all week, and I want to share it with you because it's really rocked my, rocked my mind. I've read this text probably a hundred times. You probably have too. I've preached this text almost every year since I was ordained a deacon in 2002, and I've never noticed something I want to show you this morning. Mark whisks us back. The curtain is ripped in half, and we're brought back in the story to the, the foot of the cross, and Mark says, and there at the foot of the cross stands a centurion, a Roman soldier. The centurion does not know about the curtain being ripped. How could he? But he sees the earthquake, he sees, it says, he sees this grunt, this ekpaneo of Jesus, this breathing out of his spirit. And that, that listen, to, listen to this. That centurion, who, by the way, is a Gentile, not a Jew, says, truly, this man was the son of God. Alethios, truth. That word means truly, does not mean really. It means I have been changed. I see the light. That centurion, think about this, that centurion knows and sees the events and says, this man was the son of God. This man is the very same man whom I just pressed the thorns into his flesh. This this centurion, this man who says, that man is the son of God, is part of the cohort of centurions that brought him there and mocked him and punched him and spit on him. That centurion is the very same man who nailed that very same Jesus to the cross. But now, the centurion sees that he was wrong. He admits that he was a sinner and that he and, and that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. That centurion, friends, is a powerful character. I'd never thought about it until this week because here's something that's true. That centurion is, is the same man who nailed him to that cross, friends, but listen, you are that centurion. That's why he's there. I, God knows, am that centurion. That's why he's there. It was your sins that nailed him to the cross. It was my sins that nailed him to the cross. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. But with his wounds, we are healed. Don't you see? Jesus Christ is, in fact, the ultimate hero. Because he conquers the ultimate enemy of every person in this room, yours and mine. He conquers the, our past. He, his death buys us life. His death in your place and in mine friends, tears down that curtain. His death on the cross and mine makes you and I able to stand before God, even though we put him on that cross in the first place. His death on that cross has the power to forgive even the centurion who nailed him to it, even you, even me. Friends, his death is not defeat, but victory. Not for him, but for you. All that trash you carry, all the guilt and shame, all the regrets, all the things that have been done wrong to you. Friends, today, I want to challenge you with something, and I'm not, I'm not 
playing a word game here. I mean this. Today, I want you to think about the things that you carry, the things you've done, the things that have been done to you, and I want you to nail them to the cross today. All the cruelty that you've visited on others, all the burdens that you carry from your past, all the trash people have done to you, friends, today I want you to nail those sins to the cross and let Jesus take them from you. Amen? Step into the freedom that Jesus has won for you today. Step into the freedom that he won on this day for that centurion that nailed him to it. Step into the new life that he offers to all of us. A life of freedom, freedom. A life of victory, a life of joy. A life of peace. A life, of, a life forgiven. A life that can forgive. A life restored. A life redeemed by your hero. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who tears down the curtain and makes us able to stand before you with victory. Teach us, Lord, to nail our sins and the sins committed against us to the cross today. Give us freedom from our past and from the things done to us. Help us to live lives of victory and freedom. To all those who call upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, our hero, in his name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.